Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well yeah we're getting through summer and into fall here it's exciting times so we're we're feeling good with that we're approaching i'm going to race mountain bike nationals which i think might be my first uh you know full-on race in quite some time so excited for that Yes, and cross is also coming. We just did a cyclocross clinic this past weekend. Super fun. Yeah, we're on a bit of a road trip, which also feels a little different, uh, but it's good. It's good. It's good to be back. The clinic went, I think, fairly well, if I do say so myself. Darn right. Uh, as always, I'm critical of myself, but uh, yeah, we did. We did. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and we'll have an episode actually coming up on sort of cyclocross. 101 and 201, I'm going to say. Sort of lots of stuff around race day, race weekends. Uh, we know we're not the only ones who haven't been at, at the races for two years. So maybe, you know, whether you've been racing for a long time or you're just going to get into cyclocross this year, hopefully we'll be able to provide some nuggets of wisdom. So look for that coming next week. Yeah, I think that it'll be good. We have uh, a few uh, what we call stock training plans or event training plans in the Training Peak store. Uh, for cyclocross, which is good, you know, it gives people some new workouts to follow and maybe a plan to follow, which, you know, following some sort of plan is generally good. Uh, so they help with that. But any, you know, if we call them stock plans, it means it's not a plan that's 100% made for you. Uh, we have those too. We do though. have the three month 100% made for you, which is the recommendation. But again, the price point's a little better and some people just don't, you know, want to go through all that. So that's fine. Uh, but some of those frequently asked questions that come up like, oh, you have the race on a Sunday. What do I do if it's on a Saturday? What if it's a double, right? So some of these more, uh, I guess you could call those even more advanced. Those are your 201 questions, right? Now you've sort of figured out the, the training and the gear and that sort of stuff. Uh, how do you actually execute and, and put together a, a week of, of racing and training for cyclocross? Exactly. And speaking of training and racing, this week's episode, we have Mari Holden. That's right. Uh, former, former world champion, uh, Olympic silver medalist in 2000 in Sydney. So she is still riding. She is still racing, although in a different, different way at 50 years old, which is just absolutely amazing. I think she's actually enjoying cycling more at this point, and we have her on to talk all about that and what yeah, she's been up to. I don't know, I don't know about more, but certainly she's, uh, you know, continuing to evolve and, and enjoy cycling in different ways, right? As, as we all are, and I think she's a great example of someone who we, you know, have kept in cycling and is doing a lot of good, and then also, you know, sort of. Uh, using this beginner mindset, right, to explore gravel, right? You know, we're all sort of finding gravel. It's a little newer in a lot of ways. Uh, so she's doing some of these races and rides and, and sort of getting it on the gravel bike. Yeah, and she's working with Pinarello with some of the gravel stuff. She's also working with USA Cycling with a lot of uh, youth development or actually more getting kids on bikes. So right. sort of getting kids into that funnel. And that's something that I'm super passionate about. I talk about yeah, all and, the time. And when I was, I, I interviewed uh, Mari as well. And, and so the what I was really curious about is it seemed like they they have some good, you know, actionable things that, you know, they're, they're actually doing something. And, and uh, you know, it's easy to say, you know, here's our strategic plan hashtag more kids on bikes but that that doesn't really put any more kids on bikes right this is just a hashtag so uh 
she was very well spoken and, and is doing like has done some actual things. So I think really good uh, learning for myself and hopefully uh, you, the listener, if you have any interest in, in sort of getting more kids on bikes, there might be, oh, you know, OK, that seems like something we could do. Right. Some good some good concepts there. Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, let's pop into this episode with Mari Holden. And of course, check out consummateathlete.com for all of the show notes. Enjoy. It's, I mean, it's really a nice place for me to be right now. I'm enjoying it. So I just, it's funny to me actually that, you know, when we were, when I was racing, it was so long ago that people didn't know what was going on and, you know, you're, there wasn't so much attention about your career. And so now after like so many years to have people interested, it's pretty wild to me. <laughs> do, you, do you mean, you know, with, with social media or what do you think? I mean, yeah, uh, social media, just the whole thing, like the women's scene, oh, let me turn this like computer off. The, um, the racing scene in Europe, people just didn't know much about it here in the States in the nineties. And I mean, obviously even before me in the eighties, when it was Connie Carpenter and those guys, I mean, you just didn't get information back at home about what was going on. So it was almost like there was no women's racing scene, but there was a women's racing scene. It just wasn't very well reported and no one really mm. knew about it because we couldn't do the social media. And I mean, you even calling home was hard back. <laughs> yeah. Without the cell phones and like <laughs> everything was a challenge. How do you find, I mean, there's probably pros and cons, right? Like uh, sometimes I, I was, you know, sort of late nineties into the two thousands when I was taking it really seriously. And, and in some uh, ways, you know, you could just focus on racing. Do you think like, do you, are you, do you yeah, wish that you were racing, you know, because there's more exposure now and, and more ways to get exposure? Uh, or do you think that it, from a racing perspective, was it better, you know, when it was me, simpler? I think for me, it was really good to, to be forced to, uh, live in a super focused environment. And so I think for me, the social media and all those things would have been a distraction, but I don't, I didn't grow up with it either. So, I mean, trying to imagine throwing it into my life when I was racing, it would have, you know, been obsessive and whatever, but I think the kids now are like, they're learning how to use it better through while they're growing up. So maybe it's not as big a distraction to them, but Mm. definitely for me, I, I'm better when I can just focus and not have anything else going on. And that sounds boring, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's a good insight. Yeah. Like maybe there, yeah. when it's, you know, you're born into it, maybe it's, it's less disruptive than the rest of us trying to, to pick it up. Right. <laughs> but for me, it's for sure disruptive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think you're doing pretty well with it. But... Uh, I'm trying. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, you just did this, this recent video here sort of talking about how you're just getting started, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a hopeful message, right? And it's, you know, people are, uh, you're rediscovering cycling through gravel, uh, even though you've ridden many different types of bicycles at a very high level. Uh, what is that like, you know, feeling, you know, I guess feeling like a beginner in some ways, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what is that like starting out into this, this newer discipline? Well, it's awesome. <laughs> and it's, I mean, for me, I think, you know, as I was saying, I was so focused when I was racing that, um, I considered anything that wasn't road cycling, like a completely different sport. So, and I didn't venture out and do much else. I mean, I did a little bit of mountain biking and a little bit of track racing just to help my road racing, but I have always loved, um, the freedom that you get from being outdoors and on trails. And I, I enjoy trail running. I enjoy hiking. And so now with the gravel bikes, it kind of combines all the things that I love. And so being able to go out there and experience it, 
yes, as a beginner is, is really fun. I mean, I may be a faster beginner, but I like, I still need, there's so much to learn. Like I did this event last week and, you know, had to figure out my tire choices and stuff. And I made some mistakes. I would call them total rookie mistakes, but it was kind of cool because I was out there and I could see real time how I had messed up <laughs> and then mm. and then tweak it the next time. So being a beginner in that sense is fun. And it's just kind of keeping your wits about you not to get frustrated if things don't go right, because it's all just part of the adventure, I guess. Hmm. Where, can you share the mistakes? You know, we have a lot of people who are really into gravel and newer into it. Was it, was it like too, too aggressive of a tread or not wide enough or what, what was yeah, that? It wasn't wide enough. Like I had done another gravel event that was mainly on gravel roads the week before, and I had changed from 42s to 35s. So a much narrower tire. And I didn't change them back for this next event and didn't realize how much more rocky and muddy and technical it was going to be. And I thought, oh, it won't make that big a difference. I, I just thought, oh, I'll just do it. But it was a mistake. And I uh, I should have ridden wider tires. And that's not the only reason that I suffered out there, but it was one of them. And um, the other thing I made a mistake was the distance I don't think was long enough. And there was too much climbing for me to be carrying as much as I was. So I was thinking... I was prepared for a much longer race. Like I would have been fine for 150 miles versus the hundred miles. And I, you know, had a full, you know, camelback and all kinds of water and, you know, stuff to take care of my bike. And I think I could have lost the camelback in that one. I right. mean, there's a time and a place, but I felt like with the amount of climbing and the steepness and where the climbing fell in the race, it would have been smarter to not be carrying two extra liters of water. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely the tricky thing, right? Like you want to be yeah. prepared because that can ruin the whole day if you're, yeah. if you get run it low, but yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's maybe staying on mistakes. Uh, I know we, we like to sort of hear, you know, when people have lots of experience, you know, it's sort of this, like, what would you say to your younger self? Um, you know, we, we do have younger listeners as well, but I think this is useful for, for everyone. Um, you know, when you look at something like, you know, training too hard or, or racing or different fueling, weird fueling things we do as young people um, to try and get into, is there anything now that you're just like, I was such a, you know, why did I do that? Well, you know, I mean, I think, one of the reasons I ended up being successful is because I kind of dialed it in a bit. And I, and I basically, once I figured out what was working for me, I really stuck with it. And if I did want to try something new, I would always try it in a period of time where there were no consequences. So in training, instead of racing, like if you're going to try out a new tire or a new nutritional, you know, plan or, or any of those things, I would try it in training first and before I would switch it over into racing. The other thing is with training is not to get obsessed with the mileage so much as the intensity. And I think even as we get older and have less time to train, maybe uh, just to do, if you're really looking to improve your times is to be more focused and doing more intervals and understanding that it's not necessarily volume that's going to be what gets you better results, but the intensity and then recovery as we get older. So I think when you're younger and I took recovery really seriously, I was always, if I wasn't training, I was like sleeping or eating. I didn't have much of a other life, but that's what you can do when you're a professional, mm -hmm. you know, and now that I'm getting older, I find that I need to really pay attention to my recovery time. And if I, 
do hard efforts. I need to give myself the time to recover and understand that that is just as important as, you know, the training, because if you're not recovered, then you can't train as well. And, and you don't reach the higher peaks that you're looking for. So I think those are the main things that, you know, when I'm talking to people about, I'm always telling them they need to rest more. Cause a lot of times I think that people are just trying to put in these miles or time because they think that that's, what's going to get them faster. But I mean, if that was the case, everyone would just like spend all day on the bike and then they would be the fastest they could be, but that's not the case. And it's more about the intensity and what, how you're moving your uh, numbers higher. And the only way that happens is with rest and overloading your training in intensity. Yeah. Yeah. So what would a, a week now look like uh, for you? You know, you're getting, you know, you did, did you do Unbound this year? I did Unbound. I did the 100 mile one and I okay. did that 100 miles in uh, Montana last week. I did a Rafa event in Aspen a couple of okay. weeks ago. So I mean, I get in some longer events, but I, um, my training hasn't been super long and I'm looking to do, to be able to get out more on my bike now. Um, but Normally, I try and get in about an hour to two hours a day. Normally, it's about an hour. And then on the weekends, I can get a little bit more in. But I definitely, uh, I'm on the low side of the, the mileage. <laughs> I think that's good for people to hear, though. Um, you know, A, I like that you're, we can talk about this in a second, but your, your events are 100 milers and not necessarily the uh -huh. 200 yet. So I'll be interested right. to hear if, if there's a progression and a plan in mind. <laughs> Uh, but I also like that, you know, your training is normal. Like, I think this is one to two hours a day is, you know, I would yeah. say even for some people that's even more, but, and then on the weekend, you try and do a bit more, right? Like, and I think yeah. that's sometimes people think, like you say that it's volume, right? You must ride 30 hours a week. <laughs> right. And they think that that's the key to being fast, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah. I've been the, the, I'm blanking on his name, but the, the gentleman who won Kanza, I guess like he very few weeks over 20 hours, like a couple in the base season and then everything, but then he did, you know, a 10 hour, 200 mile ride. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think training your body to go long, I mean, you definitely have to get in some longer rides and that's basically why I haven't tried to progress to, you know, 200 miles. Cause I think at a hundred miles, you can do it on not a, not a lot of mileage, but mm -hmm. for sure, you're going to do more. You're going to have to be able to throw in some longer rides in there to kind of get your body used to doing something longer, maybe not 200 miles, but you have to spend the time getting your body out on sure. the bike a little bit more. So, yeah. And, and do you think that's, you know, there's the fitness we might say, but then there's maybe, I, I think a lot of it is like, where does your body break and can, can you prevent that for longer? Yeah. Right? I, I would, I think so too. And I think that, you know, the hundred miles or, you know, 75 to hundred miles, you can do it on very little mileage as long as you're getting a few longer rides in there. Um, but I think once you take it longer than that, you have to get more used to it. And also just figuring out your, you know, fueling plans and how you're going to, you know, take care of yourself through that event too. Uh, it's more of a commitment, I would say, to do the 200 miles than it is to do the 100. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's smart, right? I think that's part of, um, you know, I, I think racing as a, an adult is, mm -hmm. you know, what do I have time for? Like, can I prepare for the goal that I've set is sort of, I often phrase it that way. Um, and sometimes just being honest, right. And I know this is a hectic part of my life and like a hundred miles will be fun and I'll feel fast uh, and not stressful. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's kind of your goals of why you're doing it too. I mean, if I was looking for a challenge to see if, if it was, if I could accomplish something, like if I could finish it, then maybe I would look at the 200 mile in a different way, uh, you know, 
my commitment would be different because I'm looking to try and do something that I didn't know if I could do it or not, but, you know, but if it's just to go out there and have a good event, which is what I want to do is be able to go to a hundred mile event and, you know, yes. Are you going to be suffering out there? Yes. But I, I'm mainly there because I want to see a new place, experience something fun, get a great workout and, you know, still be able to function at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Right? That <laughs> can you, can you go to work on Monday? Yeah. 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 I always found that too with the, I, I really like three hours for race time. So like hundred K something like yeah. that, but um, probably into that hundred mile, you can, you still feel like you're going pretty fast, you're working mm-hmm. hard, but then it's also, uh, you can get a bit of an adventure out of it, right? You feel like you got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. You feel like you're a kid again, somewhat, at least on the gravel, you know, I mean, I think I feel a little differently when I do a grand fondo or something and it's a hundred miles, like I probably wouldn't need as much, you know, time to, time to go to the rest stops and those kinds of things. But like on the gravel, I'm definitely taking in everything and enjoying mm. Do you still ride on pavement very much? Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Okay. I, but not as much as I used to, because obviously with the gravel now, and, uh, I just, I feel like I can ride my gravel bike on the road too. So I find myself on the gravel bike a lot and right outside of my house here, you can get onto really good fire roads and trails. Okay. So it just is, you know, away from the cars. Nice. But my yeah. thing is, is I'm, I always like to try and ride with someone when I'm on the gravel, like out in the middle of or because I just get nervous being by myself but and on the road I don't feel so nervous by myself on any roads Mm. you're in Colorado Springs you said yep yeah and it's is gold camp that's the one big road yes gold camp is the big the big one yeah (laughs) and you can basically take it all the way to Cripple Creek and I mean so we have just we have so many beautiful gravel roads here you have Mm. a good You've been here apparently. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think by chance, I think like you say, it's maybe just the big road, but yeah, for some reason, yeah. I think I stayed like very close to that um, yeah. by, by chance. So yeah, I always throw that out as like my local knowledge, but I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> well, know it's good because I live right off of Gold Camp too. So okay. maybe everyone does. Maybe it's just like yeah. the city. Well, city is... everyone who loves like cycling pretty much does. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you're, are you doing trail running as well? Or how do you integrate that? That's sort of our other interest is always, you know, integrating these sports. What's, what's the running, uh, yeah, you know, I, the last month and a half, I haven't been running as much. I've just been traveling so much with work, but I love the trails around my house. We have some beautiful single track. And I think it's like I said, with the gravel, I just enjoy being out in nature, I guess. And it, it, it's just a really peaceful feeling. And I love, I love running and being on those trails just because, uh, well, the road gets boring to me. So on the trails, I can let my mind wander and just look at things. And I guess I'm not as worried about my pace so much as I am on the road. Like on the road, I'm concerned about like, oh, you know, how fast am I running or whatever. But on the trails, I lose all that. And it just becomes more about, you know, being out there and exploring a new trail or trying to connect my trails and figure out fun ways to go and stuff. And it's just more entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have to be more engaged, right. To navigate mm-hmm. and not trip and fall on your face. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so would that be, that's more of like when the weather starts getting poor or, or like, yeah, how do you, how do you use start, Yeah. I'll probably start running more once the weather starts changing here. Hmm. cyclists often struggle did you have like when you sort of started running uh what was that like you know after years and years uh, of high well, you know, elite level cycling often you know you're you've become very good at a very specific thing how was that 
Well, so when I was cycling, I mean, it was always like, I didn't want to walk anywhere. Like if I had to walk a block or across the mall, it was, you know, well, do I really want to go shopping? <laughs> or, you know, yeah. It was too much because your body, I, it would just make my body tired and, and I never wanted to do that. So yeah, I got super specific. Um, and I didn't do anything like cyclocross where you're kind of mixing things up in the off season. I always like stayed focused on my riding. Uh, so when I did switch to, uh, to running, it was, it, it definitely would hurt like my quads and it took me a little bit of adjustment, but actually the fitness that I had from cycling really carried over well into the running. So after that initial, like, you know, week or week and a half of massive pain where you can't walk up and down the stairs but like after that then it would be okay and then I I asked I was actually pretty fast at that time I think just because of all the fitness from the cycling and stuff and so now I just think about if I could just get that fast again (laughs) it would be great but but you know because you don't appreciate it when you have it when you're younger and it's like oh so much work now (laughs) right yeah yeah I think that can be hard right I think that's why some people never ride again uh, yeah. Once you felt going that fast, yeah. it's very, very hard to keep going. But in the, in cycling, what's interesting is, is that I can get some of that same joy and feel like I'm going fast and, and feel like my body's giving a good effort. I just don't sometimes want to see the data on it because like, if I feel good, I want to think it's good, you know? And I, yeah. and when I see the numbers and I know you know, it's very hard to compare like what I can do now versus what I could do. Like when I went to the Olympics and stuff there, it's, it's obviously going to be different and, you know, but it's still in the back of your mind, you know, that you had this ability at some point, but it's just not the same anymore. And I think now that it's been a while for me, I've, you know, I've come to terms with it and I don't mind it so much. It doesn't bother Mm. me and I can enjoy myself again, which is why I think that, you know, doing stuff with Pinarello now has been really great because they're supporting me through that time, you know, where now cycling is fun again. And it's just like being out there for the experience and enjoyment of it. And yeah. I like, I I mean, I really like that, like that it's almost like focus on feeling and if the feeling's good, then it's good. Right. Like why, why sour it? Um, (laughs) Right. Well, it's almost like when you're a kid, you know, and you're out there and you feel that like, freedom and you're just going and you've got the wind and I mean there's so many amazing things about cycling and that's kind of the joy that I want to be able to connect back into now and just like share with people because that's a really special thing about riding your bike that I don't think you can get any other way it's like that speed that you can get when you're descending and Mm. you know beautiful places your bike can take you and you know I think when you get super competitive and you're in that part of your life where everything is about numbers, like uh, you can get obsessed with it and then it's hard to break from that later, but mm-hmm. I've broken it. <laughs> I'm good now. <laughs> figured it out. Yeah. And I mean, do you yeah. think that's another thing we know when we started talking about social media? Uh, I wonder now, you know, it seems like every kid's got like a wristband that's telling them they didn't sleep well and their wattage isn't, you know, yeah. they're, they're not Matthew Vanderpool, so they suck. And um you know, it, it must, I think it's tough. I see that with athletes for yeah. sure. Um, so did you I ever, think, like, did you want to use power meters in your career? Yeah. I mean, I used a SRM from like 93. It was when I started oh. training the power. So, I mean, I had like one of the first ones in the U S um, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I used in my, the whole time I was racing and now I have a Wahoo on my bike and everything. And I, 
I admit it. I am a like aura ring addict. <laughs> so I watch my sleep scores because as I said earlier, like sleep is so important to me. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's one of those things that I love tracking my sleep and stuff. Um, but that's pretty much those are the two things that I use mainly and Strava. I enjoy Strava. It's my social media. Um, mm-hmm. I find yeah. that it's the most honest social media. So, <laughs> well, and you seem like you have a balance. So it's interesting. You know, I, we, we actually have a friend who's, who works for Aura, um, uh-huh. clients who use them for sure. So I think, you know, they seem like they're good data and, and, and it makes sense. But so how would you interact that, you know, you have a sleep score, um, you know, the classic is sort of like, you feel like you slept well, you wake up and it says, you you know, you suck and it's a 60 sleep score or whatever, yeah. uh, whatever that is. So how, how would you, how do you deal with that, that data? Like, what is the balance? That's a good practical example. Well, you know, I try not to let the, if it's a bad night's sleep, let it bother me too much because that would make it even worse. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I find trends with my, my aura ring and, and that's kind of what I'm more interested in. So I know that if I get to bed earlier and I, I get a lot of deep sleep and, and so I know that it's important. I know it helps me figure out when it's important for me to be, or how to take care of myself better. And it just keeps me honest with it. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like my own little coach thing. Hey, you know, like if I got a 60, then maybe that next night it would be like, maybe you need to make sure you get in bed by like nine o'clock tonight and get a good night's sleep, you know, or even sometimes like I wake up really early in the morning. So maybe just trying to get myself to lay there a little bit longer uh, to get a little bit more. Um, But yeah, I, I'm an aura addict. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like that you're thinking about it like that. Cause that's always my contention is like, well, do you do anything with it? Right. Cause it's, yeah. you know, especially something like whoop where there's a, a monthly fee, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's like, well, why are you paying for this? If you're not going to, you know, go to bed earlier when it tells you, you uh-huh. slept, slept poorly or you, you know, you just got to bed really late. So it's, last night was six hours. Mm-hmm. Are you going to, are you going to take action? Like what is the thing that it's motivating, right? If it's not ever changing anything, you yeah. know, maybe you're just getting I mean- stressed about nothing. Yeah, the nice thing with Aura is that you're not paying that monthly fee, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. But I've been two years now, and I'm still addicted to it. So I mean, <laughs> so cool. I know for me that it it works and it helps me stay honest with getting to bed on time. I think just having that little like reminder of oh god, if I stay up too late, I'm gonna have to deal with my score tomorrow morning. <laughs> Yeah, I try to, I, I actually have just a basic, like it's like the Garmin one, um, but uh, I, I also just try and track like the time in bed and time out of bed, like physically. So yeah. not, not even necessarily the quality or like deep sleep or anything, but I try and when that rolling average for the week, the seven day, when it sort of starts dropping and I'm a, I need a lot of sleep. So if it's like out, dropping out of like certainly the eights, I'm like, okay, uh-huh. you know, and I just flew across the country, right? So I lost a whole day. So that average is down, right. but it's, you know, just observing that and then saying, okay, well, training maybe doesn't need to be super super aggressive this week as you're trying to get back on top. Right. I mean, it's just another way to help monitor things. And I think, you know, the information is all good, but you just don't want to get too carried away with any one thing. And I have fun with it. So it's one way to kind of keep myself. Yeah. Now, would you adjust uh, like an interval session? Like you woke up today, you sort of, you feel like you had a bad sleep and then uh, you know, this, the ring maybe backs this up. Would you, you know, and you had an interval session today, would you adjust that? Or how would you, how would you do that? How would you use that information? I, 
I think it would depend on when it, it when it was happening, you know, but I do think, I mean, and also kind of what kind of intervals, but I, I think that I would probably go maybe try them later in the day or something, uh, or, or if I really had not good scores and I didn't have any specific reason why I would take another recovery day. And, right. you know, back, back in the day, you know, we would do it like where you you would just be able to, it was obvious that you were not getting good sleep. You know, you have bigger bags in your eyes or whatever. I mean, it was kind of more looking at how, seeing how someone felt or seeing how, or seeing how I felt like I could see it in my face. I would know that, you know, when maybe another day is better because then once you uh, get recovered, you can actually have a better workout the next day and actually get the benefit from it instead of just like tearing yourself down more and, if you're not rested, you're not going to be able to hit the higher powers that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Some of those older ways, you know, the, the more like, how do you actually feel? Do you want to go out on your bike today? <laughs> um, and probably you would have, you know, uh, maybe still do this, but you warm up, you know, when you start the first mm-hmm. one and you're like, no, the it's not there today. Right. Like yeah. the feelings off. Yeah. Which is okay too. Sometimes it just, <laughs> cool, I think everyone, cool. yeah, you know, it, I definitely think that rest is important and so it's like if you're erring on the side of a little bit more rest before getting into an interval like block then that's not a bad thing but if you're doing two days of intervals back to back with the idea of you know getting getting fatigued from it then maybe the second day of your intervals you still need to do it even if your sleep score said you weren't Mm. like there's different reasons and how you're setting up workouts so but i wouldn't go into a block of intervals like uh, tired. So yeah, sorry. Well, I like that. That's less like context. No, this is very specific and and (laughs) stop stop me if I go too far, but, um, I love that. Yeah. Cause it might be, you actually want disruption in your sleep and, and, or just your feeling, right? Like that's the point of a block or, you know, when you're training hard, you're supposed to get tired. Right. Um, that you may be able to still hit the powers you're looking for. And if, if you can do that, then it was successful. If you couldn't, then you need to rest. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. And that, and that's interesting. Right. And that, even just the fact that you're talking about blocks, right. Where there's like mm-hmm. an easier block versus a harder one versus I think yeah. as humans, we're probably wired out to just want, you know, super routine, right. Like the whole year is the same, you know, yeah. volume, right. I have to keep this volume at the exact same level all year round. Yeah. And that's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, you thought we did base or whatever, right. And then and go from there. Uh-huh. Um, so another passion, you know, part of this, this beginning, I guess, this gravel, this um, part of your life, you know, you're looking at getting more kids on bikes, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think that hashtag gets thrown around a lot. It sounds like you're doing some pretty, uh, you know, you're taking action on that as well. So do you want to, you know, what do you, what do you feel like, or what are you doing uh, as far as getting kids on bikes? So I'm working for USA Cycling as their community director. And one of the initiatives was to launch a program called Let's Ride, which is USA Cycling's grassroots kind of program, basically like bicycle rodeo. So safety and skills courses for kids, elementary school kids. And it's been really fun. And um, we've been partnering with different groups to do bike giveaways in conjunction with our skills clinics and so being able to get kids bikes and have them you know experience their first bike is just a really a really great I don't know it's a really great feeling and it's really hard to explain the joy that you see on a kid's face the second they know that they're like riding 
you know? <laughs> and so being a part of that is, it has been really cool. And it's also kind of bringing me back to the things that got me involved in cycling, which is exactly that, the, you know, the freedom feeling that you get, the, you know, attention to your health and, you know, all the good things that cycling <clears throat> brings to lives. Mm-hmm. Now, are the, like bringing bikes to schools, like sort of like they have a fleet that they're bringing to the school or what, what does this let's ride program, especially in those, um, you know, uh, you know, for those, the, the, the group. Yeah. In the school, what does that look like? So we haven't exactly gone into the schools. We've actually done our main bike giveaways have been with cycling events. So we partnered with uh, tour of America's Dairyland and uh, intelligentsia cup, which are both, 10 day races approximately in the Midwest. And um, we did two bike giveaways at Tour of America Dairyland and two bike giveaways at Intelligentsia. And it was kind of a pilot program to see how it worked, but we partnered with Free Bikes for Kids, which is a group that uh, collects bikes, refurbishes them and gives them to kids. And so they donated to us 200 bikes to give out in, at each of those events. And we also worked with Working Bikes, which is a group in Chicago that does the same thing takes in bikes and refurbishes them. So, uh, so we were giving away refurbished bikes at, at cycling events, basically. And so okay. the idea was these, we bring in these kids who were identified by their community groups, the boys and girls clubs, or, you know, the housing authority or whatever kids who would be needing these bikes. And we let them know we were going to do a bike giveaway. We um, basically had helmets for them and bikes and they came and we fitted them and then gave them a safety and skills clinic, hopefully with the idea that they could have a bike to ride to school. Uh, we also did one at a, we also had it with a, a back to school event where the kids were getting backpacks and, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was, and I almost forgot. <laughs> the great thing is, is that we were bringing them into racing areas where hopefully they could see, you know, people racing and maybe get excited by it. Cause even if one kid gets excited by seeing a bike race, then you never know where it might take them, you know? So I like that. Yeah. Cool. And so maybe the, like the organization, like you said, boys and girls club or whatever, uh, different mm-hmm. groups like that, they would, would they sort of facilitate getting them to the race or how, how was that? Their parents would, they would get the message out in their area that right. we were doing this. And um, we knew that, the group that they were going to be talking to would be needing these bikes. It wasn't like we were giving bikes to people who had, you know, a bunch at home already or something like that. So, um, so anyways, we, they would come to the event with their parents, their parents would have to sign all their paperwork and then we could do the bike giveaway. Hmm. That's a good idea. I like that. Sometimes it's like very much in the schools or here's just a bike and then no one ever tells them like what biking is or gives them instructions. So I like that you're sort of saying, you know, here's a bike, you know, it's incentivizing the parents to bring them because they're getting a bike. Mm -hmm. Um, then they, you know, get an instruction, they learn how to ride or ride better. And then they also get, like you say, some representation, like there's some, there's a woman racing, there's a a guy racing or wow. Somebody. And if they think it's cool, then maybe they decide they start following cycling or want to be a cyclist. I mean, you never know what can spark a kid's like, you know, imagination or, or like what they think is cool and and they decide to pursue. And, you know, we have to be out there creating these kinds of opportunities for kids to see it. And um, the other thing is, is that our coaching network with USA Cycling, if a coach wants to run a Let's Ride clinic for 
you know, 10 kids, they can do that too. We have the curriculum for them. They can do it in their own hometown. It's just the ones that we've been working with, like sending staff to and everything have been bigger events, but we want to make it so any of our coaches could do these camps in their towns. Okay. And is that like a online thing that uh, a USAC coach could could look up? Yep. They can just look up Let's Ride camps and they'll be able to find out how to, um, get all the information and then we give them coaching credits for doing it. So towards okay. their coaching licenses. That's great. Yeah. I like the accessibility we've in Canada, we've been trying something similar. You know, I think all the organizations are always trying to do something. grassroots. Well, you know, it's, it's a learning process. And that's the thing I feel like I'm every time we try something, I'm like, okay, here are the takeaways, you know, like when you're debriefing, these things work, these didn't. And I basically started with events that I had a good relationship with the promoter and knew that, you know, he would be willing to work with me on making sure that everything, you know, that he knew it was a new program and that there would be some hiccups, but, you know, was going to do my best to make sure it worked. And they worked great. And it was nice to have a partner who understood like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to do everything I can to pull it off. Yeah. And something, right. I think that's it too. We can, you know, make Mm -hmm. a flashy, uh, you know, handout post or social media post and say hashtag more kids on bikes or more girls on bikes but it's Mm -hmm. like what what is the thing it doesn't as you say have to be perfect to start but but you um, gotta start yeah yeah exactly (laughs) like anything (laughs) yeah yeah you gotta start and be a beginner and and know you're gonna make errors yeah um so similar that's that's all great thank you for taking us to that hopefully people will look up uh, that's so a lot of that information. If someone wanted to sort of on the USAC website would be the best yep, place. on the USAC website, or you could just go to Google and, you know, type in USA cycling, let's ride camps. And that would take you directly there too. Okay. That's probably the easiest way. Okay. And I'll try and also do that Google and, and find that, that would and, be great. Thanks. And put it into the, put it into the show notes. Now, uh, you know, the, the, Related is sort of the more girls on bikes, more women on bikes, trying to get representation at, at all levels from kids mm-hmm. right up. Now, what do you think is, you know, where, where are we missing on that? What is, uh, what do you think is the key thing to start, you know, continue moving that forward? Well, I mean, I think we're, I mean, it's coming along. And I mean, the hard thing in the States right now is we're losing a lot of uh, road races right now. So I feel like we need to get more events going again, which is difficult to talk about right now in COVID and everything. But, you know, but there is this big push towards gravel and more kind of participation events, which I think is a good thing for women. And also, I think that online you're finding uh, a lot of women are doing Zwift and those kinds of things too, where creating community and then, you know, getting people into racing, those are kind of the next steps in, in looking at these gravel events for the younger women who maybe are trying it, you know, in college or high school, uh, coming out in Nike or something like that, and then trying to get them mm. involved in competitive cycling. And, and do you think that gravel, um, you know, is a, a good venue for that because it's, you, you can participate. It can be almost like a, a tour, I guess, more than road racing is maybe hard to do as a tour right you get dropped and it's done yeah i mean i think that gravel offers the chance for uh some really good hard racing for the people who want to go hard but if you should get dropped or end up not being able to stay with the front group you can always get in another group and keep going which in road racing sometimes you know if you get dropped you're on your own and that's your Mm -hmm. race is done so you may have paid like your hundred dollars 
and then you're all of a sudden riding by yourself or I don't even know what the entry fees are I'm sorry I shouldn't even be saying that but like um but you could have paid your entry fee and then been riding around by yourself whereas in gravel I think you always kind of get into your group and because it's both men and women there are enough people out there where you're not just by yourself and um and, well, I, and I guess it's okay. Sorry, but it's also probably okay. Like there is a situation where you would ride alone. Right. Um, and, and that's part of that race too. Right. Is often. Right. Well, I was by myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. So, I mean, uh, but yes, it's like, once you're dropped, you're still not, uh, it doesn't have the same feeling as like, if you get dropped in a crit and you get pulled or something like that. Whereas like, um, I just think that the skills that you kind of develop on the gravel bike too, trying to race hard and on, you know, not ideal conditions and stuff and being able to move your bike and, you know, fight for your position. I know that sounds aggressive for a gravel, but like having to do those things, I think is really helpful for any women who might be looking to get into a road career, like Europeans. So say they're in their late teens, early twenties, and they're doing these gravel races, those skills are going to be really helpful for, going to Europe and, you know, fighting for your position and those kinds of things more so I think than almost some of the road racing that we have here. I don't feel like it's not, it's not as hard to like move around in the pack in a pack of like 40 women versus, you know, on the gravel with people sliding around and stuff and having to get reactions. Yeah. There's more things going on for sure. And skills development. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be that too, like if we're thinking about it as like, it's, it could be lower key, but it could Mm -hmm. also be aggressive. So it's almost like self selecting within the event. So we don't have as many issues with finding the right category and, you know, a big enough group and all these Mm -hmm. things, but then you get skills that could become cyclocross or could become even mountain biking. Oh, mountain biking too. Yeah. Or it could be just as like a, I don't know if I'd say donor sport. I don't know if it's, I'd be that generous, but it's a good starters thing for the cycling, um, but which is a bit different, right? Like right now it's like this like new niche, you know, new, I guess in quotes, but new, um, you know, discipline, uh, certainly within like a USAC or or cycling Canada sort of perspective. Um, I like that. It's really interesting where you could have someone come and just, you know, as, as you said, like you could go to unbound and I think they actually have like a 40, a 40 or something as well. Yeah. I think they have, shorter distances than the hundred even, but I was talking to Lauren Stevens who won the hundred mile one. And we were both just talking about how much that kind of skill development will help any athlete going over to Europe or at least any women going over there. It just really having to learn those skills and, and doing it on the gravel where it's less intimidating and stuff is really sets you up well for going and racing in a bigger Peloton on crazy roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I like, you've talked about skills, community, uh, you know, participation. <laughs> um, the community is probably a big piece, right? I think that's something that we found too, especially for, I think at the young ages, it's important. Like the socializing is sort of what hopefully keeps you in it for a lot of people. But then I think, especially for adults, you know, if they're mm-hmm. starting, do you think, um, is, is that true for you? Do you think that that's something you've searched out more uh, you know, in this, this stage of yeah. your, your development? I guess the, yeah, the community is important to me. It's probably why I've stuck around so long. And, you know, all of my friends are cyclists on one level or another, um, maybe not, uh, you know, racers and stuff right now as much, but like, I enjoy getting out there and being healthy with my friends. And, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is, you know, as we're aging, how these, relationships and and why 
like community keeps us involved, which keeps us healthy. You know, I mean, even if you're not like on a specific training plan or whatever, but you ride your bike, if that's healthy and that's like being able to go out with your friends and doing something healthy versus, you know, going to a bar and hanging out all day. Those are all things that are helping us in our aging and kind of, you know, what we expect from ourselves getting older, you know, and I think that part of it's really interesting to me right now. So yeah, community is really important because community sometimes keeps you motivated. You know, those are your friends that like, Oh, we're going on a ride or we're doing this. Like, it's just what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you see, I, I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday uh, who again was sort of feeling a bit run down, but you know, was having fun riding with people when he was riding with people. Right. So it didn't strike me that he was, you know, everything from a numbers perspective looked good, but it was like motivation was dipping. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it was just like too much time, you know, quote unquote training and too much time on his own. Right. And so yeah. it's, you know, still you take time off, but I think a lot of this prescription would be, you know, you got to ride with some people here. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think it's, uh, it's just a nice way to socialize, you know, and it's the way I feel comfortable socializing too. I mean, I am myself when I'm on my bike and I can talk to people and it's fun and relaxed. And so for me, it helps me recharge to be around other people like that. I mean, obviously I don't want to be on a ride where somebody's trying to half wheel you the whole way or something like that, but like, I enjoy being around my friends who are all kind of in the same mindset I am right now, which is we're just riding to enjoy. I mean, to enjoy being together. And I don't mind if like I'm riding a little bit slower because I'm the other person maybe isn't as fast or, you know, I mean, it, it's just nice to, to do it as a way to stay healthy with friends. Mm. You mentioned half wheeling. Is it hard as, <laughs> you know, coming from a very elite level of road riding, do you find riding in gravel hard sometimes just when you're like, this is not how this is supposed to work. You know, I'm thinking of drafting or rotating <laughs> or some of these things. Like I know as a mountain biker, I would probably <laughs> frustrate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't mind it so much. I think that when I get on the gravel bike, I feel like a kid somewhat. So I almost feel like, you know, when you used to go around the neighborhood as like a, you know, a little gang or something like when I'm with friends on gravel bikes, that's kind of how it feels like we're just out exploring and, you mm -hmm. know, so I don't really, uh, I don't get frustrated about much on the gravel bike. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so well, I guess it's not quite the same opportunities to start, you know, echeloning across the road or putting people into the gutter or anything. Yeah. I mean, the gutter kind of doesn't really matter so much. <laughs> you're ready. You're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess that you have to kind of pick your line better on a road. Like that's kind of the weirder thing is maybe, you know, when there's a Peloton going down and down the road or you know gravel road your line it may be better not to be in a certain space so it's almost like the edges might be better mm -hmm. versus sure. the middle you could be like stuck and hit something if you're like stuck in the middle of a group right yeah yeah, yeah it gets sketchy do you th these are somewhat like rapid fire but the you you've been very successful uh with time trial uh -huh. uh, and I always think that that pays off in gravel, but do you find that like, have you been using any of your time trialing experience, uh, both the effort, but also the position, I guess I'm curious about. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things about gravel that's interesting to me is it's not so much necessarily the accelerations as much. It's like, cause it's longer. So, you know, and you're right. Like a lot of it, you could be by yourself just kind of time trialing too. So I think, having that mindset of knowing that you're going to keep it on the edge the whole time is probably a 
a good skill to have, <laughs> but I mean, but I don't ride like a super aggressive. I will actually, maybe I do ride a little bit more aggressive position on my gravel bike than a normal gravel position. And I've actually been thinking, I wonder if I should like, you know, come up a little bit more, if it would be more comfortable, but, um, but yeah, I think time trialing is helpful for most things, I think. <laughs> do you do you ever use clip-ons or anything like that? No, I I don't, but I I know at Unbound Lauren, because when I was talking to her, she had her clip-ons and said that it really was helpful. And when I started thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I guess that would make sense. You know, you're by yourself and and there it's kind of more roads. And so you could, and same thing with the one I did in um, uh, Aspen with Rafa, it, that would have been one to have clip-ons too. Maybe not huge clip-ons, but just, mm -hmm. some, you know, where you are kind of able to get in a more aero position when you're by yourself. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it. And then even just like resting, I think people find just the different mm -hmm. position, right? So like if you're like yeah. hand, hands and arms, I guess a, a break as well on those long ones. Yeah, definitely. I mean, always being able to mix up your position, your hand positions and like able to move on your bike is a good thing. And in gravel, it's a little harder to get out of the saddle, like on the road bike, on a hill or something, you would have to the saddle to kind of maybe switch up your muscles and stuff. But like, on the gravel, maybe you can't do that as much because your tire is going to slip. So having a different way to hold your body might make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the important thing is like, I, a lot of times people uh, say, oh, no, you can't do this or you can't do that. But to me, if it's not in the rules and it's comfortable, then don't worry about what anyone's saying. Because like, if you're training like this and it's comfortable and that's what's working for you, you shouldn't feel bad about putting them on if it's not against the rules. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, because I think a lot of times people are talk a lot just because they don't have anything better. <laughs> well, this is the, this is the social media. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for some people, it's sort of the difference even to be able to, to do the event, right? Like they mm -hmm. have different hand, wrist, shoulder, neck, whatever, yeah. right. And it actually is quite, you know, good for them. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't feel like we have that many issues with them as far as accidents. There's lots of other things that are probably yeah. sketchier. <laughs> I think uh, so too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh so maybe to finish your tell us a bit more about the pinarello ambassador program uh, that you're part of it sounds like it's a very diverse group of athletes so that's sort of interesting you know up our alley as far as different sports so do you want to just give us you know what's what's that all about what, what are they doing here with this ambassador so basically the pinarello scuderia program um is very different than any other program i've ever seen like you were saying it's super diverse we have it's not all just based on you know who's been on the podium in a bike race and we're going to put this team together. Um, but it's more about individuals who are passionate about what they do, their sport. Like, I mean, we have big wave surfers, we've got like trail runners, we have like so many different people and we do have our podium people too, but I feel really lucky to be a part of the program because they're supporting me in, you know, this part of my life where now it's becoming more community-based and grassroots and working on things I care about. And I had been involved with Pinarello during my career too. And as a, you know, professional athlete, and then basically coming into this now and having them still support me is a really great feeling. Um, but I think it's really incredible what Kim Rogers has done at, at uh, Pinarello, our marketing director. She had some real vision about what she wanted to do. And 
it's very cool. I mean, Anthony, he, you know, runs a club in Baltimore and hadn't been a professional athlete, but he's a community leader and he's doing a lot to diversify our sport and is bringing stuff that's so important that we need so much in cycling, but hasn't really been celebrated before. I mean, normally we only celebrate the people who are on the podium, like what, like what I was saying, but like there are people out there doing amazing work and championing our sport just in a different way. And to have a sponsor recognize that and show the value of it is really cool to me because that's one of the things that was cycling that I really want to see is more diversity. Mm. And you know, for myself too, with the Let's Ride program, bringing it into underserved communities and giving away bikes to kids. I mean, we want to like create more lifelong cyclists out there and people who, you know, love our sport for, you know, not just racing, but health reasons too. And just, um, and environmental too, I guess, but, you know, but for Pinarello to like recognize that and put together a team of ambassadors that, are passionate about causes within cycling is pretty cool. I think so. Yeah. Do you think, you know, some of the idea of having like a big wave surfer and then someone who's in a community or whatever, is that it's sort of people using bikes in, in different ways, I guess, would that be a way to sort of describe it? Or what do you think the, I, I don't want to yeah. say angle, that sounds too salesy. Well, what's the angle? No, here? I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think it really does show it brings in different groups and shows how, you know, people are using, our sport to enhance their lives, even though they may have a big career in another sport or something like that. It's, it's pretty amazing in my opinion. And I love that Pinarello recognized that and is, you know, helping get that message out there that you don't have to just be a specific cyclist, you know, get out there and ride your bike because it's amazing. (laughs) You know, we want more people on bikes. Yeah. And I I think that's cool to see, you know, maybe the big wave surfer does it with for training or, you know, he mm-hmm. rides, rides to the the waves or something. Right. And so it's more transportation perhaps. Um, and then someone working in the community, right. Like it might just very much be, you know, riding with kids or, or riding mm-hmm. to work the commuters or something like that. Right. And I think those are the, that is the representation, you know, that, you know, we're looking for is it's not just elite road cyclists. Those are part of it, mm-hmm. but you know, there's, there's lots of other ways to use a bike. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is that there are other ways to celebrate cycling versus just like podiums at races and podiums at races are important. And that elite side is really a big part of what we do. But and Pinarello, you know, has amazing athletes, but to like have a more community program that is uh, focused on growing our sport and sharing how great it is, I think that's pretty pretty unique. <laughs> That's cool. There's so much cool stuff that you're doing. Um, Thanks. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for all you've done and all the sharing today. I think we have some great takeaways as far as, you know, aging and, and what a training week <laughs> we, we probably should look like. I really liked your stuff about focusing on feelings. So thank you for, for sharing all that today. Is there anything that we've missed today that you wanted to, to cover? No, I'm really happy with, with this. And it was really cool. nice to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And people can follow you. Your Instagram is great. Um, and oh, do you, do, uh, so it's MS. So miss, uh, Mari Holden. <laughs> Holden. Yeah. And then we'll put that in the show notes, of course, but you can look that up. I'm sure people will, will find that. Uh, is there anywhere else? We talked about the USAC, uh, let's ride, which we'll link to as well. And you can find that on the USAC site. Is there any other things that people should know about or, or look up if they want to find out more? 
No, I think those are the two best spots to find out information on what I'm doing. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll let you go and get back to work on all these, these tasks. All right. and <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.